We're on a series called This Is, this is You, and, and, and as you know, we're operating on a, a premise that uh, in order for you to fulfill your destiny and your purpose in life, you have to know who you are, who you are, who the Bible says you are. In fact, your whole Christian journey, and listen to this, your whole Christian journey is about you becoming who you are. Appreciated the, the emphasis on the finished work of Christ today in the, in the worship set because I want to talk to you for a second about that. You know, the Bible describes our salvation in Ephesians 2.8, and so I'm going to basically teach you a, a, a verse today that you're going to memorize. I think I'm really into Bible memorization right now. I'm, I'm going back to my Baptist roots. I was never a Baptist, but I'm going back to my Baptist roots, and I'm going to become a great memorizer of scripture and i i just think it's that we should be filled with the with the word of god i see i see harry oldenburg back there burger back there and, and harry has discipled so many young men he's mentored and just filled them with with tons and tons of scriptures harry has hundreds of scriptures memorized and uh you know if you want to prosper and be a statesman and effective in your old age like harry oldenburger you want to memorize scripture. Let's tell Harry how much we appreciate him. Harry, uh, amen. Well done. So we're going we're gonna to memorize a verse together here. This is real hard. For by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, that's it. That's your verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Say that with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. See, you just memorized your first verse today. There's actually going to be a second one later on in the sermon. And uh, you can just say, you know, what was, what was one of the verses today? For by grace you've been saved through faith. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Well, what does that mean? That's what we're going to talk about for a second here before we get into the slides. I know you get so anxious what's next on the slide, but I like to keep it mysterious. <laughs> grace means undeserving favor or undeserving ability. So I have abilities that I have that I've received from God that I don't deserve. And God has shown me certain things from him, favor, forgiveness, kindness, that I don't deserve either. It's undeserving. It's unmerited. I did not earn it. So grace means that God comes to you in your, I'm going to say it, your sinful and your undeserving state. And he comes to you with his kindness and his mercy to awake you out of a sleep. The Bible says that we are we're, we're dead, but God awakens us oh, to awaken you out of your sleep in order to put a desire in you to draw near to God, to have a relationship with him, to desire to repent of your sins and your lifestyle, and to turn to Jesus Christ and to place your faith in what he did for you when he died on a cross. And so when, when that takes place, when you... You, you trust in, in what Jesus did for you on that, cro that cross. God does something at that point. When I place my faith in what Jesus did, God declares you righteous or completely right or perfect in his sight. This happens by faith. It happens by faith. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Say that again with me. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It happens by faith, not by striving to keep rules and not by striving to keep laws. You are righteous. 
You'll say to the person next to you, you're righteous, you're righteous. Come on, you're righteous. Right now, that's, that's who you are. Now, remember what I said, that the Christian journey is, be, is becoming who you are. That's what the Christian journey is. And if we have a problem, here, here's the problem. The problem is I don't always act righteous. The problem is I don't always think righteous. Sometimes I don't feel like being righteous. How many people have found this to be true with you? Okay, so what the Bible says that I am, and sometimes what, I'm, what I am at the moment, there's a contradiction. And so the, the Christian journey is this. It's me becoming who I am. And, and God helps me on that. He helps me on my journey of becoming who I am by bringing his word into my life, revealing his word to me, and by the power of his spirit helping me to do what his word says, I start becoming who I am. And there is a word in theology that we use for us, and the word is called sanctification. I think it's good that we teach theology on a Sunday morning, not just five steps to be a better person. I'm you know, I'm not Anthony Robbins up here. You know, we're not trying to make you, you know, successful just in life and that you can be a motivational speaker too. We're here, here to try to help you connect with God and, and live with God and walk with God and allow God to fulfill his purpose in your life. And so sanctification is a good word. It's where God helps you to become who you are. I remember when I, when I gave my life to Jesus, I know the day, March 12th, 1976, it was a rainy spring, just like we're having a rainy October. You enjoying the rain? Yeah. yeah. I enjoy the rain because people start coming back to church, and so that's always exciting. <laughs> it's always exciting. When the rain comes, man, a revival is coming. And uh, so I always enjoy it. I, I always enjoy that rain. I mean, Jesus is going to show up today. You know, Sonny, well, God help me. All right. But uh, it was a rainy night, and I came and I heard this Episcopalian priest by the name of Father Dennis Bennett share his testimony, how he had a powerful Holy Spirit encounter back in 1960, and it shook his denomination, it put him on the cover of Newsweek magazine, and, and uh, he tells his story. He did it every Friday night, and, and he called the little crowd of 30, 40 people to make Jesus the Lord of their life, and I did. And he talked about the Holy Spirit coming into my life. And me and the other people were there. And he made this statement. I'll never forget this. You know, there's just those things that someone says you just remember the rest of your life. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, he is going to cause you to become holy. He's going to start doing things in your life. (laughs) And then he says, you can cooperate with the Holy Spirit or God has other ways. And I'll never forget that. You can cooperate with the Holy Spirit where God has other ways. And, and I don't like the other ways. He didn't define what the other ways were. All I knew, there was a little, just a little thing of fear struck in my heart. Like, I don't want door number two. <laughs> you know, that doesn't seem like the one I want to choose. And so God, God is going to help us to become the people that we are. That's why the title of, of this sermon today is called, You Are Different. And their scripture is out of the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verse 5 through 6. It is the, we're reading now the, the NIV. And it says this, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, let me lay, let me lay a, a little foundation here on, on the context of, of God speaking this, these words to Moses. He spoke these words to, to the Israelites right before uh, he gave them the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments come to us that you know in Exodus chapter 20. This is Exodus chapter 19. So he's saying, Moses, I'm getting ready to speak to the people about how I want them to live. And I, and I, want, I want you to know something. I want, I want them to know that even though I own the whole earth, they're going to be my special possession. I want them to be my priests to represent me. Now these particular two verses really tell us something about God. It tells us about how God wants us. It tells us how God wants to relate to us. It tells us what God expects from us. And it also tells us how God wants to use us. It tells us all these things. Now, let me just share a little bit about the Old Testament versus the New Testament. A lot of Christians have a, a real struggle with how do you marry these two books. And I kind of have two extremes that I can describe. One would say, let's throw away the whole Old Testament and we just live in the New Testament and forget all that stuff back there. Others would say, man, we got to almost like live in the Old Testament. And there's a radical middle on this. You'll understand when I, when I say this. First, the nature and the will of God doesn't change. His, his, his moral nature and his, his spiritual nature is, 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 has a continuity to it. The nature and spirituality of God has a continuity from, from, the, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. There's no breaking of that. So here's your second verse. It's out of Malachi 3.6. And, and you're going to memorize it. You go, oh, we went to Sunday school today. Here it is. It's real hard verses I'm choosing. I am the Lord. I do not change. You ready to say that with me? I am the Lord. I do not change. Man, this is profound theology. That means there's a continuity of his nature and a continuity of his will from Genesis all the way through to the end, to the second coming of Jesus. Nothing changes. So if you actually look, for example, if you look at the journey of the children of Israel, you'll see a perfect parallel to the journey of every believer in Christ. For instance, in the Old Testament, uh, when the children of Israel were in slavery, uh, they were under the rule of one called Pharaoh. The Bible says very clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that we are under the influence of invisible entities, principalities and powers, rulers of darkness and invisible places where we actually have come under their sway and we're under the control of an evil one. And so there is a person called Satan, the devil, that the Bible describes. That's the biblical worldview. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I remember when I was in high school, uh, we had a hypnotist come, and I'm not here to know all the factors on hypnotism and there's science to it or it's, it's hocus pocus or occultism, and, and I just know it's kind of dangerous, and I probably wouldn't counsel anybody to do that. 
But I remember he came to our assembly and he, and he picked up, uh, he, he had a girl volunteer herself to come up on the stage. Her name was Cindy McMillan. She was a friend of Sue's, growing up friend of mine. Cindy's probably five foot on a good day, probably no more than about 90 pounds, little thing. And he had two bar stools and he said, I want you to make yourself like a board. I watched this with my own eyes. She made herself like a board and he actually picked her up and she was straight as a two by four. He put her heels on the back of the chair here and he put the back of her head on the stool here, nothing underneath her and she held it like a perfect plank. You know, some of you CrossFitters out there, you think you can do planks. There's nothing like what I saw that day. She didn't bend. And then... Then he got up on a ladder and he stood on her abdomen like he was standing on a two by eight and she didn't bend at all. Now if a man can get that much power over someone's thinking, how about a powerful fallen angel? So we have in the Old Testament, Pharaoh held the children of Israel as slaves in a place called Egypt. Just like we are held as slaves before we come to Christ in a, in, a, in, in, in a place called earth, a globe. So Egypt's a picture of the world. We live in Egypt. We're under the sway of Pharaoh. But God comes and he sets the children of Israel free. They escape his judgment. And his final judgment that they escape was called the striking of the firstborn. And so he says, I'm going to come through. I'm going to kill the firstborn of all the Israelites. Now remember, that sounds rather mean of God, but he gave them nine times. He brought nine plagues to prevent this particular judgment. And Pharaoh kept getting stronger and stronger in his resistance to God. So finally, you know, you want to fight, this is the fight that's going to come. Why that's important to them and not necessarily as much to us, the firstborn one, is because their whole culture was based on transferring your name, your honor, your wealth, your authority onto the firstborn. So he strikes it, but he's also making a statement. You are going to have your firstborn die because you're going to give my firstborn, my kids, to me. And so he brings, he brings the death angel, but he tells the Israelites, he says, you better get behind closed doors. You better sit there with your sandals on, your staff in your hand. Your bread is not going to even be able to rise with its yeast because I'm passing through and you're getting out of here fast. You put the blood of that lamb that you are eating inside with your family on the doorposts and on, on you know, the lentils of your, uh, of your house and, and uh, I'm going to come by. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. So they escape the wrath of God's judgment. So when we put our faith in Christ, we escape the judgment that's coming upon the world. We escape the wrath of God. You're on your way to heaven. You belong to another system, another kingdom, another world. You've escaped God's wrath. Now, we don't talk about that a whole lot, that there's the wrath of God against the world. God loves the world, but man man is really messed up, and man really does resist God, and that's not his will. That's not his desire, I should say. He wants all to come to him, but that is the provision. So the blood of the Passover lamb came, just like the blood of Jesus was spilled for us, and they left Egypt, and they were, they were led by a cloud. Isn't that interesting? Led by a cloud. That cloud, even the New Testament tells us, was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And then they went through the Red Sea, and that Red Sea separated them from Egypt. Well, we go through a Red Sea, a body of water that separates us from the world. It's called water baptism. 
And that's what happens in water baptism. Water baptism, I'm separating myself from the thinking of the world, the philosophy of the world, the values of the world, my love and attachment to it, and all its wrong thinking, and, my, and, and I'm dying to my inf, my being influenced by Satan. And I am separated by water. And then God, by his cloud, which speaks of the Spirit in our life, brings him to Mount Sinai, where we have our story in Acts 19, and God is going to give him his law. They are going to become who they are. Now, that's sanctification. That's what that is all about. The difference in the New Testament from the Old Testament is how God does this. His nature and his will has not changed, but how he brings this about in your life and my life is a little bit different than he did in the Old Testament. They had to really be changed from the outside in. They had to try to obey these laws from their own strength and their own weakness, which ultimately God knew they wouldn't be able to, and that's why the New Testament says it was like a school teacher to bring us to Jesus. And so it made us aware that, you know what, I don't have game. I mean, I need some help. I need some help. In the New Testament, God changes us differently. He changes us from the inside out. He writes his laws, Jeremiah prophesied, in my mind and in my heart. He, he reveals them to me. He stirs me up. He puts a passion in me and a desire in me to do his will. In fact, I would say this, that if you claim to be a believer in Jesus, but you have no desire to obey this book or to please God in his will that he's revealed in his book, you probably need to become a Christian. Well, I, you know, I, I confess it and this and that, but there's something missing in that because if you've truly confessed, truly asked me your life, this will be your desire. He'll come, he's, he's coming in, he's inside of you, and he's messing up your stuff. He's, he's stirring you up to obey him. All right, so let's talk about the theological truths of Exodus 19 here. First, there's the, there's the principle of that there is one God. God said this, the whole earth is mine. Now, that may not be so important to you, but remember, this was a polytheistic culture. These Hebrew slaves really didn't have much knowledge of God. They, they understood that the one revealed himself to Abraham. The one revealed himself to Isaac. The one revealed himself to Jacob. The three patriarchs of their faith and Jacob's family came to Egypt. They became a nation. But, you know, even you take Rachel and Rebecca, they still had a little bit of a, just a little bit of a bent towards idols still. If you've studied some of the stories in Genesis. So God wanted to settle the polytheistic issue. There ain't no other gods. There ain't no God of wind and there ain't no God of fire. There ain't no God of the water. There's no Poseidon. There's only me. There's no, there's no Zeus. There's all, is it Zeus? Zeus. Zeus. Okay. Dr. Zeus wrote that book, didn't he? All right. <laughs> I like green eggs and ham. I am. I can. <laughs> Come on. I'm, I'm the only true God. The other thing is God separates chosen people from other people. He is the father and the creator of all the earth. We talked about that last week when we talked about adoption. But he separates the people to be his special people. Now, before anybody might react, because that sounds like, man, like, it's like elitism. This is not elitism. It's a strategy. And if you can understand the strategy, you'll understand why he's doing that. I'm going to use a people called, and I'm going to use this term, my church. 
God has always had a church. Church means just a body of people that are gathered. Okay, it's a body of people. Ecclesia in the Greek. It's, it's a group of people who are called out. I have, a, I have a, these people called my church. They're, they're going to reach and teach my other children who are separated from me. And so for me to reach them, I got to choose them. He said to Abraham 400 years before, he says, I'm going to make you a blessing, Abraham, and through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he separates them to use them. And so that's really what the third point is. God separates chosen people to rescue other people. I mean, that's what God did this for. You will be, for me, he said, a kingdom of priests. Now, priests are intermediaries, and and they're they're those who are stand-in-betweeners between God and people. They represent God to people. They're God's reps. They communicate who God is and what God's will is. And they also model for other people how it, what it's like to relate to God and, and, to, and to do his will. They're, they're in-betweeners. They, they stand in between. They also intercede for those other people. And he says, you're going to be a kingdom of priests for me. A kingdom of priests. Now, in the New Testament, if you turn to 1 Peter 2, 5 in your own notes, in your own personal time, it says that we are being built a, a spiritual house, a holy nation to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And then 1 Peter 2, 9 says that you are a holy priesthood. So as New Testament, we're priests. We're priests. We minister to God. We intercede for the earth. We intercede for our community. We intercede for others. We're worship, we, worship it. we worship him. We offer ourselves to him. And we also communicate his message and his will and his gospel to people. We are God's priests. Now, you don't wear a collar. You don't have any holy smells around you. Some of you have some smells, but they're not holy. <laughs> you know, you don't have some special vestments, but you're a priest. Right. We're a nation of priests. And lastly, theologically from this verse, God chooses people to enter into a covenant with him. Now, covenants are agreements between God and man. That's what they are. Some are unconditional. It doesn't matter. We could fail, but God's still going to fulfill that. You know, every time you see it rain, you see a rainbow. God promised never to curse the earth with a flood again, ever. There's a promise. It's really based on nothing but his absolute unconditional commitment to that promise. There's actually seven covenants in the the Bible that God makes. We're not going to cover those, but just for your own maybe beginning understanding. But but he, he makes these commitments. Some of the covenants are conditional. In other words, they had to keep the law or be cursed. Now, in the New Testament or the New Covenant, we we enter into an eternal covenant with God by faith. But that faith that we have, okay, the requirement of that conditional law. Now, in the Old Testament, in in this particular covenant God's going to make with Israel in that verse, they had to keep the law in their own strength and ability to keep that covenant. And the problem is they failed, and that's why that covenant's been done away with. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. But the New Testament, we enter into a covenant with God by faith, but that faith is going to be expressed in you and I becoming who God says we are. This happens, once again, from the inside out, not from the outside in. It comes as a result of the activity of the Holy Spirit in my life, the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
The Old Testament was from the outside in where they had to earn the favor of God by keeping the law. The problem, they couldn't do it in their own strength. Now, you probably say, but, you know, wouldn't they fail in doing it in their own strength? And that's exactly, that's why the New Testament had to happen, where God comes in his presence and his power, not our presence and our power, but in his presence and his power, and he literally changes us in the people that we are. And so because of that, you and I are different. Now, how am I different? Well, first reason way you're different is that you're chosen. I am chosen. In other words, God wanted you. God initiated this relationship. You didn't find him, he found you. He came after you. He worked a miracle in you. That's right. You were asleep. You were dead. He woke you up. You weren't conscious of God. He made you conscious of him. You didn't desire God. He, de- he put a desire in you. You didn't, you didn't feel bad for the way you're living. All of a sudden, he made you feel bad for the way you're living. Okay, you he, he didn't want to change. He, de- he may put a desire in you to change. He, he did something in you that you're here today. Second thing this means is that I am owned. He said, you will be my treasured possession. You're treasured, but you're treasured. You're special, but you're his possession. That means a few things. That means I've lost all my rights. I am not free. I'm free, but I'm not free to do anything. I'm only free to do his will. Now that I'm free, party on, baby, party on. Some people have turned the grace of God into that, but I'm free to go do what he's told me to do. I'm not trapped. There are some things that God and his will for my life doesn't allow me to do. He may allow you to do it, but he doesn't allow me to do it because it's not to be a part of my life and journey because of his specific will for my life. It also means that I am privileged. I am privileged. Because you're his, you just have certain privileges that other people do not have. You are, you know, you are his kids. You are his servant. God's made a covenant with you, made a commitment to you. God cares for you. God is watching over you. Come on, he watches over you. He opens doors for you. He helps you. He brings favors here. He takes you from the back of the line to the front of the line. There's a favor on you. Now that sounds really cocky. That sounds kind of arrogant. Sounds like we got God in our back pocket. You know, somehow we're special. Remember this, for by grace you are saved through faith. How are you, how are you saved? You're saved by what? Grace. You don't deserve it, but because you've been chosen and because you are his, there's privileges that you have. What a great honor. There's just things that happen in my life, and as I talk with people in this church, I see it happen in their life. Sometimes they're just completely unexplainable. They're just unexplainable because God just is watching over you. It also means that I'm called. I'm called. This does not mean you just go off and do your own thing, but God has possessed you and God has chosen you and God puts privileges on your life because he has a purpose for you. He has invited you to something. That's what it means to be called. Now there's a general thing he's, he's invited all of us to and that's to obey his commandments. That's his general will. We're all supposed to be truthful. We're all supposed to be morally pure. We're all supposed to love God above all other things. 
We're all supposed to you know, guard each other's reputation. We're all supposed to be loyal in covenant relationships like marriage. Okay, we're all to be loyal in these things. We're, we're ne- all of us are not to be jealous of our friends, but to be cheerleaders of our friends, wanting the best for them, not wanting to take their property or take their position or anything else. We're all supposed to live that way according to the Ten Commandments. That's his general will. But there's a specific will that he has. He has a specific assignment for you, and he has a specific assignment for me. So I'm called. And I'm also, because of this, I'm separated. I'm becoming who I am. You're becoming who you are. You know, at the, at the cross, we say at the cross, man, God just showed his love. Uh, well, absolutely 100% true. But at the cross, God also showed his judgment. This is where a lot of Christians, you know, that we wear crosses like jewelry. Isn't it pretty? It's the love of God. But it's also a statement of God's judgment against the world and a statement of a final judgment coming at the second coming of Christ. So when we live in the world, it's really a world system that's under judgment and is waiting for the final and great judgment, what Paul called the day. We need to remember that because, because God chose me and I'm a special treasure and I'm privileged and I'm called and he has a purpose for me. I have to separate myself from the thinking processes of this world because it's under judgment. I've escaped the judgment, but I don't live for the earth now. I'm a heaven man. You're a heaven man or woman. So we, we live for heaven on earth now. And we become, we're heavenly people. We're heavenly reps with heavenly mindsets, with heavenly values. We just are people from a different planet. We're separated. Now, because of this, how should I live? How should I live? Well, first is with gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done. You live and I live with a sense of indebtedness. I'm just, just indebted. I just, so, I just so appreciate what Jesus has done for me. I just want to do what he wants me to do because I'm so indebted. Amen. You know, I, I serve. I have another little part-time thing I do. You, you, you graciously give me up so many days a year to do this. I serve Ministers Fellowship International. It has about 250 churches and probably 800 leaders in the United States and Canada probably another three or 4,000 around the world. And so I, I serve in a major leadership and capacity. And you ask, why do I do that? And I'm going I'm to share with you why I do. Because an incredible indebtedness to my spiritual father, Dick Iverson. But when I needed a, when I needed a dad, he was a dad to me. He could have thrown me away like a broken puppy. I really don't want this one in the kennel. But he didn't. He healed me up. He loved me. He tenderly kind of led me to a place of health. And then he, he, he released me to minister. Frank DiMaggio has been a very committed, committed friend to me over the years. And so in a sense, I feel an indebtedness because of their kindness and loyalty and commitment to me to serve them. I believe for me and the will of God for my life, I've been assigned to that out of gratitude. But more than that is that we all serve Jesus in our specific assignments because of our absolute gratitude for what he has done. And we do this, we live this way with surrender. I, I submit to the will of the one who purchased me. My life does not belong to me. This is why I'm different. This is why you're different.
And this is why we're becoming who we are. And we actually, with confidence. I'm confident that God wanted me. I lived in garbage for 20 years. I was a sex abuse victim for seven years. I was a school phobic, couldn't go to school. I felt inferior to kids. I was shy. I was a kid that had a lot of issues in my life. I was, I was emotionally unhealthy. I was, I was clinically depressed. I, I had a lot of issues because of the wounds growing up. I lived a life of humiliation and secrecy because I didn't want anybody to know how my mom and I and my little sister had to live, so we stayed to ourselves. And, and so in all that, God said, you know what? I, I want Bob. I, I want Bob. And so I, I walk with a confidence that God wanted me. I, I walk with a confidence, and you're to walk with a confidence, right. that I am chosen. That he says, that one. It's like a bunch of puppies. I want that puppy right there. Now remember, this is not elitism, that I want that puppy, not because I, I, I want that puppy because I don't care for the other puppies, but these other puppies ain't going to get any help until I help this puppy. So I'm going to get this puppy straightened out, and then we're going to go after those other puppies. That's the plan of God. It's not elitism, it's strategy. Not elitism, strategy. So I, you walk with a confidence that you're chosen, and you also that you're favored and that you're blessed. You're blessed. Say, I am blessed. blessed. You know, Paul starts his whole letter to the Ephesians this way. You know, he says, praise be God, the Father of Jesus Christ, the Almighty, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in in the heavenly places, who has blessed, not is blessing, but has blessed us. So you have all the resources You have all the privileges of a a citizen of heaven at your disposal right now. You're a blessed man and you're a blessed woman. You gotta walk with that confidence. In your business, you have to walk with that confidence. In your career, you have to walk with that confidence. Raising your kids, you have to have that confidence. In your confidence in ministering to people, you gotta know. You gotta know that you're a blessed and favored man and woman. You say, well, this is kind of like we walk out kind of high-fiving each other. Like, wow, yes, but with great responsibility because you also have to to walk with purpose. You have to walk with purpose. That I am his priest, I'm his rep, I'm, I have an assignment, I have a specific purpose. I, I just cannot do my own thing. I've been drafted. I'm his property. When I first got saved, I, in those days, there were athletic t-shirts that said like the property of University of Washington, property of Washington State. And I had this t-shirt and it says the property it was athletic looking property of Jesus Christ. And it had a little fish on it. This kind of guy, this is 1976. Okay, it was cool. It was cutting edge. <laughs> but when I, my first year of coaching high school football, I wore that out every day on the field. So when I was coaching my linemen. I had the property of Jesus Christ. I had Jesus stamped on me. I had Jesus. I was bought by Jesus. I was purchased by Jesus. I was all about Jesus. They, everyone knew Bob's about Jesus. He's owned by Jesus. It's, 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 Jesus has him. But that's the way we're to walk. We're to be different. So we walk with purpose, and we also walk with limits because of that purpose. Because of this purpose, I have limits on my life. I have confinements on my life of what I can and cannot do. We obviously got to obey the Bible, but there's some gray areas where each one of us has maybe specific commandments that God speaks to us. We, we all have the will of God, what God wants to, us to do with our money. God may tell you to do something with your money that he doesn't tell me. He tells me to do something with my money he doesn't tell you. But I just can't just take my money because it's not my money, it's his money, and just do as I will. 
It's his money. It's my time. It's not my time, it's his time. Everything is about his purpose. Everything is about his call. Everything is about his mission. Now, just let's wrap this up. Worship team, come on up here. Let's talk about, let's talk about Paul and the Isthmian games. You know, athletes, if you know athletes, athletes have a particular lifestyle, dedicated athletes do. They don't get to the Olympics because they sat around Krispy Kreme donut places, ate donuts, and jogged once a week. Okay, that, that, that ain't going to happen. Athletes, if they're going to compete, even athletes today, you know, back in the 50s, you, know, you might see a bunch of athletes smoke in the locker room afterwards, and, you know, but today you're not going to find that. Every athlete's on a diet. Every athlete's on a program. In fact, the Seattle Seahawks, every athlete, every member of their team has an iPad with their diet and with their exercise program individually cast just for them on a daily basis. They monitor everything those athletes do. They live a confined, limited life because of the vision and the purpose they have as an athlete. They say, well, Bob, that's athletics. Why are you using that? Because Paul in his writings Christianized everything. And he's trying to get to the Corinthians who basically said, because I'm free in Jesus, party on. I mean, listen, there's no idols in the temple. Let's go to the temple feast while they're doing that because they got some pretty good ribeye. Man, they got the best prime rib in that temple. Let's just go. Even though, you know, Charlie next to me is worshiping that idol, I'm enjoying my ribeye. And Paul's saying, you know, don't you understand that they're sacrificing those things to demons and, and, and they think you're endorsing it and you know, you're just not free to do everything. So he gives this exhortation to the Corinthians that they would understand. The Isthmian Games were like the Olympics of their time. And it took place in Corinth. I think every second and every fourth year, it was a festival dedicated to Poseidon, and it was intense, just like our Olympics were. Paul taking that, he makes, he says, he, he writes these words. Here it is. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? So anybody can just run a course. You can attend church. You could admire Jesus. You can talk about Jesus. You're, you're running a course but that doesn't mean you're running to win. But only one gets the prize. There's going to be more than one in the judgment. It's not a perfect, not a perfect you know, analogy. But you can run and, and run and not get a prize. You can run and not run the way God wants you to run. Run in such a way to get the prize. For everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Allow confinements and limits on my life because my life doesn't belong to me. They do it to get a crown that will not last. If I showed you some of my trophies from high school or college, you know, the head's falling off the football player. I mean, they fade. They fade. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I, I, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I, I know where I'm running, I know how I'm to run, and I know where I'm going. I do not fight like a boxer, just, just shadow boxing, just, 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 just hitting in the air. Okay, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just not shadow boxing. I know that I'm, I'm hitting a specific target. I know what it's about. Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer being in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body. In the Greek, it literally means 
I give myself a black eye. I think that kind of pictures the intensity of self-denial of doing the will of God. Now, don't go home and beat yourself in the face. But he's, he's using drastic words that I, I'm just not being a party animal. I'm not, you know, being morbid, but I'm, I'm hunkering myself down to do the will of God because I'm different. And I'm becoming who he says I am. Why? So that I might preach to others. I myself, excuse me, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I'm going to aim people to get the prize, and I am going to focus and run to get the prize because I am different. Let's stand to our feet. I'd like my prayer teams to come forward, if you would. Today, um, before we start singing and worshiping, we're going to enter worship here just a little bit and we'll release you. We put out a call to what Doran had said prophetically, our prodigals. Prodigal actually means one who wastes his life. I thought that was interesting, one, one who wastes his life. And you might be here, you might be one of those people who come to church, but you're wasting your life. You might be doing good career things, but you're not living for his purpose. You're not living as one who's been called, one who's been chosen. You're not living like one whose hand is on and, and he wants you to be his special treasure and his rep. You're kind of living an aimless life. You're shadow boxing. You're just running a course, but you're not running, running to win. And if you're, the word of the Lord came to you today and he says, come on, come back to Jesus. And if that's you, come and pray with one of these people today. Say, that's me. If you've never had a relationship with Jesus, today's the day. Come up and just say, you know what? We want to start this relationship with Jesus. We've never truly trusted what he did for us on the cross. We never truly committed ourselves to that. We've been kind of striving our own strength to be good. But the problem is you fall short of what good is. I fall short what good is. And you have to be declared righteous. And so God by his spirit can come in and you can become righteous. Come forward. If you need prayer for healing, come forward. If you need encouragement, fall, come forward. If you need counsel, come forward. Let's sing this song. Let's celebrate the finished work of Christ here. Come forward for prayer. Whatever your need is today.